This is part one in a two-part series. This series discusses domestic violence, crime scenes, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. If you're in need of support, please contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or text START to 88788. This is The Fall Line. Aiken is a town in western South Carolina, not far from the Georgia line. It's a short drive from Augusta, where Jeanette and Danette Millbrook disappeared in 1990. They're sister cities that share a local news station, WJBF. Aiken, the city, sits in Aiken County, home to Shaw Creek. It's that region where, since the late 1980s, the remains of four women have been found. Two, still unidentified to this day, are known as the 1987 and the 1993 Aiken County Jane Doe's. The others, Jackie Council and Ristine Durden, they were identified years after their deaths. Both identified women who were Georgia residents disappeared in the late 1980s. But it's thought that the other two women might not have been tied to the state. Local officials have speculated that a serial killer may have been operating in the area at the time. If so, there's some evidence that he might have been targeting camps of migrant farm workers as well as more permanent local residents. At one time, the 1993 Aiken County Jane Doe was considered a possible match for one of the Millbrook twins, possibly Jeanette, though she could have been either. The process of checking that possible match was complicated by the passing of the local coroner, Tim Carlton, who'd offered to make the comparison. He did indeed seek out DNA analysis for the 1993 Aiken County Jane Doe, but after his death from brain cancer in 2019, Communication to and from the office was understandably slowed. However, in 2020, journalist Renetta DeBose of WJBF was able to confirm with the new Aiken County coroner that the work had been done. The Millbrook twins had been ruled out as a match for the 1993 Jane Doe. And, unfortunately, she remains unidentified. The 1987 Jane Doe, of course, falls outside of the time frame of the twins' case, and she too awaits identification. The Shaw Creek victims are hardly the only cold cases in Aiken County, or in the city itself, its most populous area. Aiken isn't big, not compared to Columbia, South Carolina, or even Augusta, Georgia. It only has about 30,000 residents at last count. But there's been a significant spike in violent crime in Aiken, the city and the county, in the last two years. But that's not unique to Aiken. There's also been a spike across the state. And based on our interview with Thomas Hargrove from the Murder Accountability Project back in 2021, that's not a problem South Carolina has faced on its own. The entire country has grappled with a rise in violence. In fact, Pew Research reported that across the U.S., the murder rate rose 30% between 2019 and 2020. That's the largest single-year increase in more than a century. 
It's worth noting, though, that even before the recent spike, the one that we've all seen across the country, Aiken had another bad year. That was back in 2012, when there were seven murders. That's a high number for Aiken. According to the city of Aiken's own website, the city faced one homicide in 2008, and that jump from one to seven in such a short time was a cause for concern and action on the part of city leaders. And one of those seven homicides was the murder of Moses Williams Jr. He was just 19 years old in February of 2012. Moses, a young father and recent high school graduate from a large and loving family, was shot on Super Bowl Sunday. He'd been on his way to join his family at a party. he just planned to stop in at his girlfriend's mother's apartment just for a few minutes. Moses' mother, Tamika, was expecting him to pull up in the car that he'd bought with his own money at their family party to join his sister Vanessa and Tamika's husband Benny, the stepfather who'd raised Moses and Vanessa since they were small, to join cousins, uncles, and aunts. They were all expecting Moses, nicknamed Fat Man as a chubby baby, to turn up with a smile, the first great-grandchild of the family, beloved by everyone. Instead, they heard gunshots echoing in the distance. Tamika was outside smoking a cigarette when she heard the blasts. Moments later, her phone rang. Someone told her, you need to get to Han Village. Fat man's just been shot. Tamika couldn't wait for her daughter, Vanessa, to find the car keys. She broke into a run. We first heard Moses Williams Jr.'s story when our friend and colleague Renetta DeBose covered his murder on WJBF's Cold Case Project. With the 10th anniversary of his death coming up this February and his case gone cold, his family worries that each passing month lessens the chance that the person or people responsible for his murder will ever be caught. According to Cold Case Project, Moses was shot while he was sitting in the driver's seat of his car outside an apartment at the Han Village Complex in Aiken. He'd come to Han to drop off his girlfriend at her mother's house. They'd been at another family party, and he'd planned to head over to the second to join his mother. But, according to Cold Case Project's interview with the Aiken Department of Public Safety, Moses wouldn't make it out of the parking lot. Moses' girlfriend and her sister told police that they heard gunshots as the girlfriend entered their mother's apartment. Both then ran outside and, quote, found Moses Williams sitting slumped over in his car and what appeared to be a gunshot wound to his head. Nearby neighbors there heard the gunshot too, but they also heard someone run by their bedroom window, hop inside a vehicle, and leave the area in a hurry. Rather than wait for an ambulance, Moses' girlfriend told investigators that she managed to move him to the passenger seat so that she could drive him to the hospital herself in his car. Tamika, Moses' mother, saw that car driving away as she arrived, looking for her son. Even in the chaos of that night, there was one question that was immediate for everyone. Why Fat Man? If it had been an attempted carjacking, it had failed. And if for revenge, for what? Moses had never been in any trouble. He'd been a talented football player and planned on joining the military. He had no criminal record, Aiken Public Safety noted this in an interview, and he worked seven days a week. 
In fact, his mother had to talk him into taking time off just to enjoy the Super Bowl. So why was Moses Williams Jr. one of the seven murder victims of 2012? It's a question his family has been determined to answer for the past nine years. And now, as they close in on the 10th, they feel that all the information is readily available, known to enough people in Aiken to make a case. It's just a matter of those who have that information being willing to speak it. We interviewed Moses' mother, Tamika James, and other members of his family, his sister Vanessa, his stepfather Benny, his uncle Al, and his aunt Kathy, as they prepared to celebrate the 2021 holiday season. When we spoke, Tamika told us that Moses' death wasn't the first that she'd faced in her life. She and her siblings had been raised by their grandmother after their own mother, Connie Drummings, had been murdered. Her death is another South Carolina cold case. My mom was actually murdered in 85. She was at a party, and they say she drowned. They threw her in the pool, but you could see the bruises on her head. So I knew she didn't drown because they took me to the scene to identify her. And I was eight years old. We were actually home, and my grandma got a call and said, someone said, you know, y'all need to come down here on Washington Circle. In Aiken, because they said somebody's dead and they take his Connie. So we all jumped in the car. She told me to come on. We pulled up, you know, we saw the lights and stuff. And, you know, when we pulled up, I told my grandma, I said, it's my mom. And she said, you know, she hit me and said, sit back, don't say that. And I told her, I said, it's my mom. Because I could see when they pulled her out of the pool. She was so small, you know. My mom went before nine, probably about a hundred and 10, 15 pounds, that's how small she was. So they put out on the stretcher, and I actually went to the car, you know, where the paramedic was at, and it was her. My grandma said, that's her, and I said, yeah, that's her. So she was gone. No one actually got arrested for her murder, but as I got older, I started pushing the issue. I went to the coroner. They actually gave me reports. The Reports on my mom, they let me see the pictures of my mom laying beside the pool, just a t-shirt on. I mean, they gave me all this information. They wouldn't let me keep the pictures of her, but they actually gave me a, her case file, extra report, you know? And like I said, it was probably too late because a lot of them that was involved was probably dead or gone. Because I know her best friend that was there that everyone said was the one that killed her. She's doing real bad right now. I see her all the time. And she She's very sick. You know, she's on drugs. So, and every time she sees my daughter, she freezes. She goes into a whole panic because my daughter looks so much like my mom. Connie's murder meant that Tamika and her siblings were raised by their grandmother with help from aunts and uncles. Tamika's grandmother put a heavy emphasis on education. But she allowed the children to have social lives, so long as their schoolwork and other responsibilities were attended to. And her grandmother actually liked the boy, Moses Williams, who Tamika began dating when she was 13. Moses and Tamika's families were friendly from church, and her grandmother was fine with him spending time with Tamika. That is, until her granddaughter started feeling nauseated in the morning. My uncle's girlfriend, she's deceased now. She, um... She noticed I was sick a lot, you know. Ooh. And she was like, um, 
come on, I'm going to take make you a doctor's appointment to the health department. We ain't going to tell your grandma. We ain't going to tell nobody. I'm going to take you myself. I said, okay, you know, she, you know, you're pregnant. I said, no. She said, you have a statement? No. We got the clinic, and that just came back. All you hear is her screaming and hollering at me. I was already too much pregnant. <laughs> so my grandmother was home, and she said, you going to tell her? I'm going to tell her. So I said, I tell her. And I tell her, and she was mad, of course. Even told mother he couldn't come around no more for a while. He was working at a girlie's, you know, grocery store. And actually, he was excited, crazy, but excited. And he got another job. He had two jobs. He, he was doing what he's supposed to do. I went to school every day. I went in labor at school. It wasn't no homebound. It wasn't no staying home. My grandma made me get up and go to school every day, even when I was sick. And the doctor wanted to put me on, you know, leave from school two weeks in advance. No. My grandma said I had to go to school. I was walking up the hall when I went in labor with Moses. My water bust in the hallway. So, yeah. <laughs> they were very strong about education. And see, my dad is in the service. And he, he was staying in Hawaii, you know, moving around different places. So I, my grandmother had custody of me. So... You know, he would send, you know, take care of me and stuff, but she was the strict enforcer, and she did not play. Childbirth was intense, but Tamika and Moses were incredibly excited to meet their son, who they named Moses Williams Jr. Now I'm crying. His daddy was crying. It was exciting. Just still was, I was wondering, like, oh, wow, I'm about to be 14 next month, and I got a whole baby. What was it like taking him home? Everybody was there waiting, and it was just exciting because my family, like I said, we always try to stick together. And he was the first great-grandbaby, huh? Yes, he was. He was everybody's baby, basically, because he was the first, and he was so big and juicy. Tamika's aunt, Kathy Curry, remembers what it was like finding out that Tamika was pregnant how Kathy's mother, Tamika's grandmother, felt, and how the family welcomed baby Moses. First total shock. We could not believe that she was getting ready to have a baby at 14. And then when he came, I mean, he became everybody's baby. We have a huge family, and the love just radiates throughout. You know, we just have a love for each other. Do you remember who started calling him Fat Man? I'm not sure if it was his mom. I just know he was a very chunky baby, so the name fit. (laughs) The family soon adjusted to Moses. It was hard to imagine life without him, as sunny and bright as he was. But the shocks were not over for Tamika and Moses Sr., or for the rest of the family. He was born August 31st. Well, August 16th of the next year, I had my Vanessa. (laughs) And I didn't, actually, I didn't even know I was pregnant with her. Tamika's daughter, Vanessa, was born a little less than a year after Moses Jr. was, which was a shock to everyone. Tamika hadn't looked pregnant. She'd continued to have regular menstrual cycles. In fact, if her water hadn't broken at seven months after an injury which sent her into premature labor with Vanessa, it's likely she would have gone full term without knowing she was pregnant at all. 
After that injury, with blood and fluid soaking her clothes, her family rushed her to the emergency room, still with no idea what was happening. When her aunt, who'd taken her to the hospital, was told that her niece was in labor, she couldn't believe it. After Vanessa's sudden emergency birth, they all realized Tamika's grandmother was out of town at the time, and she'd have to be told, too. So the next day, I'm laying in the hospital bed, and I turned over. I thought it was a dream. I turned over, and she was laying there, and I looked, and I said, oh, my God, my grandma's going to kill me. Because remind you, I'm just not going on 15 years old <laughs> with two kids now. So they, my aunt came in. She said, uh, you finna call your grandma right now and let her know. I hesitated on calling because I knew she was about to get me. So I called to Jersey and I called my grandma. I told her, I said, grandma, I just had another baby. She said, what? I said, yeah. She said, where you had a baby? I said, I just had the baby last night. She said, no, you didn't. You weren't pregnant. I said, grandma, I didn't think I was pregnant either, but I just had a baby. She said, I'm on the next flight home. So the next day I got home, my grandma was there waiting, and I just knew she was about to kill me. <laughs> but when I walked in the house, I had done just the baby up all pretty to bring her home. And so enough, when I got home and walked in the house, my grandma was fussing and raising sand. But when she took that blanket off her, she just started crying. And say, oh, she looked just like your mama. And I think that kind of saved me a little bit. You must have been completely shocked. Oh, yes. I'm talking about completely. And Moses was completely shocked. He was like, what? How that baby, where, how you had a baby? How, where the baby was? The baby was here. You know, he was going crazy. And he was like, what are we going to do? How are we going to take your two kids? I said, I don't know what we're going to have to. So I started working a summer job, doing free, you know, free lunches for the kids, working at the schools, you know, serving free lunches and stuff. And he was working two jobs. And we, me and him actually broke up when Vanessa was three months old. So, because, you know, he was, he was doing his job that he was supposed to. But, you know, it was, we fussed a lot, I guess, about, you know, because we had the two kids and both of us still in school. So it was kind of a strain. And then he ended up quitting school. And so it was a lot. But today we are still real good friends. Tamika went on to finish school and a certified nursing assistance program, all while raising two children who were born less than 12 months apart. Meanwhile, Vanessa and Moses grew up to be extremely close. They were always together in the same grade at school. Vanessa told us what it was like to have a big brother who was almost like a twin. We used to always, you know, like play basketball a lot, even play football a lot. And I was the only girl, you know, that was out there playing with the boys. And then it's like my brother, it was like he was teaching me how to do all the things that, you know, he was doing too as well. So, you know, it made it, it was a good, it was a good life growing up together. So people always asked you like, oh, are y'all twins? All the time. And sometimes like when we got in middle school, they didn't even know it was his brother and sister until we told them. And it was like, oh man, it's been all the years around. It's been all the years because we always had the same classes, no matter middle school, high school, was always in the same classes and everything. So a lot of people really didn't know until we told them because it was like we was night and day. Tamika said that Moses was an easy child. 
close to her, no trouble at school, except that he would get homesick and he would ask for his mom. She remembered that his teachers would mention how often he asked for her and that it was an early sign of how close their relationship would be throughout Moses' life. Oh, they would say he was very smart. He was quiet. He wouldn't really talk. Um, he used to cry for me a lot. So some days I would go sit in class with him. Like if I didn't have class, I would go to his school because, you know, he was going right there by his grandmother and I was going to school there. And when I could, Moses would go to the school. And a lot of times my husband would go up there. So he was kind of comfortable, but like I say, he was just so attached to me. When I say he was a mama's boy, he was a mama's boy. He wouldn't sleep nowhere else but in the bed with me and my husband. Even when I had to have surgery, I had to have surgery. I had some fibers and stuff. And um, when I was in the hospital, I had to stay in the hospital. I couldn't stay home. I had to stay in the hospital for my surgery. And this boy would actually come to the hospital when he got out of school, stay in the hospital with me all day. He would actually bathe me. He would tell the nurse, you ain't got to wash my mama. I wash my own mama. Y'all don't wash my mama right. So he would want to bathe me. He helped me do whatever I need to do. I mean, this is the bond that me and him had. Tamika met her current husband, Benny, when Vanessa and Moses Jr. were still very young, and Benny quickly became dad. Moses Sr. would remain a part of their lives, but Benny was who they considered to be their father. In addition to Moses and Vanessa, they would also care for Tamika's younger siblings after her grandmother died, and adopt three of her sister's children and one of her brothers. So, as Moses and Vanessa grew up, they were always part of a large, loving family. Cousins raised as siblings, aunts and uncles treated as sisters and brothers, great aunts and uncles who were there for guidance, a large network of family across Aiken and other smaller towns in western South Carolina. Moses grew up playing Little League and peewee football with his cousins and other relatives. His stepfather, Benny, or another relative would more often than not be the coach. While he was quiet, he felt very at home on the field, and he showed a natural aptitude for sports. And Benny made sure he had the chance to play. By the time Moses made it to high school, the family was living in Wagner. That's a town a little over 20 miles from Aiken. As a young high school student, he was playing football for Wagner's team and doing well, according to his family. But Tamika tells us Moses wasn't happy there. He reasoned that he could play his favorite sport as easily at one school as another, and he suggested that he transfer to Aiken High School, which is Tamika's alma mater. He was like, Mom, when it's time for me to graduate, I want to go to Aiken High. I want to go to Aiken High because that's where you graduated from. So I promised him, okay, we'll move to Aiken so you can graduate from Aiken High. And that's what we did, which is a regret that I have right now today because I felt like I should, if I had never moved to Aiken, but they say God got timing for everything. So he did go. He did graduate. And he had said when he got out of high school, he was going to the service. He wasn't no bad kid in school. He was stayed to himself. He didn't get in no trouble. And I guess that's when he met his girlfriend. 
I didn't really know much about her family, just about what people were saying that they were a lot of trouble. They were they like to start trouble and all kinds of stuff. And you know, and I, you know, I never knew them like that. You know, and when she was coming around, she seemed like she was a nice girl. You know, even though she was older than him, I was like, well, you know what? He done graduated. He grown. He got a job. He kept a job. So he was like, uh, Mom, she ain't got nowhere to stay because she stayed there for a little while. So I was like, okay, that's fine. You know. But then there was always arguing and fighting. And she would hit him, and he would never hit her back. Because I always told him, you never put your hands on a woman. Tamika alleges that she actually witnessed Moses' girlfriend hitting him and that she told her that she needed to leave the house. Moses reportedly tried to intervene, saying that his girlfriend had nowhere to go. But Tamika told us that she wouldn't have someone who abused her son in her home. So, according to Tamika, Moses then decided to move out and get his own place. And just to note, these events are alleged. We didn't speak to Moses' girlfriend for this series and don't have police reports concerning these incidents. He went and got his own trailer. He was 18 years old. He had his own place. He was working seven days a week. He was never at home. This boy worked. He went and got a car, a nice car. And he was like, Mom, you ain't got to pay for nothing. I'll make sure I pay for all my payments and stuff. And I was like, well, you grown. You 18. You doing it. You get it. You know, you can do it. That's what I always teach you. Get, try to go out there and get it on your own. So he found a place. And his girlfriend moved in with him. I mean, that all they did was argue and fight. So I try to stay out their relationship. I, I, I told her, I told her, I said, I don't care what y'all do, y'all live together. The only problem you would have with me if something happened to my son. Don't let nothing happen to my son. During the course of Moses' relationship with his girlfriend, a former girlfriend from Wagner, Jasmine, called Tamika to let her know that she was pregnant with Moses' child and to invite Tamika to the baby shower. Tamika was understandably shocked until she spoke with Moses and realized that he'd been trying to tell her and Benny for months in a roundabout way. Just as she had been when she was young, he'd been nervous, but his approach had been to use humor to tell her. Problem was that it came off like he was kidding. Once Tamika got over her surprise, though, she was excited to welcome her first grandchild. Moses and the mother of his child were no longer together. He was still with his new girlfriend from Aiken, but he was preparing to be a father and to support his baby. The news did create some tension in his relationship, though. Tamika told us how he and his current girlfriend handled the situation. That broke up for a period. What do you think brought them back together? Do you think she was the driving force for that? Yeah, because she didn't really have anything or have anyone. He was a provider. He made sure she was good at all times. She wasn't working. That, my son took care of her. Did he also do that with his son's mom? Oh, yeah. She didn't have to ask for nothing. She didn't have to ask for nothing. He made sure that boy was good at all times. And I always told him, you, need to le- you got to learn how to provide and take care because I'm not going to always be here. Anything happened to me, you're on your own. Ain't nobody else going to do nothing for you. And that's what I I stay with all my kids. That's why all my kids work. I got one in high school. He works too. My brother son. Yes, I let them know I'm not going to take care of you. I'm not going to take. I only take care of your needs, not your wants. 
So that's why they were. And he he did a good job at it. And he still would come home and say, old lady, you need something? You need some money? You know, that was that was just him. Do you think you learned that from your grandma and passed it on to your kids? Yes, most definitely. Because my grandmother, you can be homeless, you ain't had no way to sleep. If you come knock on the door and say, babe, can I stay here tonight? She'll say, go get a car out the closet, make your pal on the floor. That's the type of person she was. So he was working hard seven days a week. Seven days a week. That weekend he got killed. I asked him to take that weekend off because we were having a Super Bowl party. And I wish I never told him to take that weekend off. And I was, I was just told him, I was like, you're working too much, you know. You have been working seven days a week for almost for three months. Take this weekend off. We have a Super Bowl party. I want, you know, want my kids there, you know. And he got killed Super Bowl night. February of 2012. Moses Williams Jr. had graduated from high school that past May and turned 19 a few months later. His son was now a year old. And according to Tamika and the rest of Moses' family, Moses loved being a father. Things were going well, and the only dream he hadn't realized so far was his plan of joining the military. According to the Cold Case Project, Moses had originally set his sights on the Navy. In an interview, Tamika told Renetta DuBose, quote, His grandfather, my dad, retired from the Navy, so he always wanted to go into the service. Until he started meeting girls. And like every young boy, let the girl get into their head. So he didn't go. Aside from that, though, it seemed like things were going well for Moses, even if things with his girlfriend had been on and off. With him out of the house, Tamika no longer knew if they were fighting like they once had. She only knew that that February, they were together, and that Moses planned to take her to one family Super Bowl party before meeting Tamika and the rest of the family at Uncle Al's house. That's Al Thomas, the brother of Kathy Curry, who you heard from earlier. All Moses had to do was drive over to Han Village, where his girlfriend's mother lived, and drop off his girlfriend. They'd make a quick stop at a convenience store first. They planned to pick up cigarettes for Moses' girlfriend's sister and drop those off along with the plate for her mother. Then Moses would be at Uncle Al's. Moses promised Tamika that he'd see her soon. According to the Aiken Standard, Han Village was a public housing complex that was once home to 100 families. Built in the late 1970s, it was recently slated to be demolished. There's been criticism about the quality of its initial design, which lacked air conditioning, and the overall safety of the buildings and the area itself. As of October 2021, all the families living at the complex, quote, had been relocated, and the standard reports that, at that time, bids were being taken for the housing complex's, quote, demolition and abatement. When we interviewed Captain Marty Sawyer of the Aiken Department of Public Safety, we asked him about crime in Han Village. Can you tell us a little bit about the neighborhood that Moses was visiting when he was shot? Well, Han Village is several apartments that spread out over several acres, and we've had a lot of violent crime in that neighborhood. Actually, since Moses' murder, we've had two more murders in Han Village, several shootings, um, home invasions. So it's not, not one of the best neighborhoods in Aiken. 
since this death, actually about six months ago, Han Village has shut down. Uh, they're going to tear that apartment complex down and, and build, my understanding, single-family dwellings in there. As we said, Moses' reason for being in Han Village that night was to drop off his girlfriend, who brought her mother a plate of food from the first Super Bowl party. It had been another gathering of Moses' family members. And as you'll recall, they'd also picked up a pack of cigarettes for the girlfriend's sister at a convenience store just outside the Han Village complex. It was okay, we're about to leave Uncle Ralph, and we're about to drop her mom plate off. And I said, okay. So we at my brother's house, just sitting there chilling, you know, having drinks, he got the music going, you know, got the food, you know. So I told him, I said, I'm going to step outside and smoke me a cigarette, because, you know, he didn't allow you to smoke in the house. So I said, I'm going to step outside and smoke me a cigarette. He was like, that's fine. So my husband said, well, I'll be out in a minute. I said, okay. As I'm standing on the porch, I heard a gunshot. So I run in the house, because it was close. So I run back in the house. It was like, what's wrong? I said, somebody out there, shoot. As I run in the house, my phone rings. And it's one of my daughter's best friends. She used to live with me also. So she's considered one of my daughters also. So I have the phone. She's like, Mom, Mom. I'm like, what? You need to get over here. They say Fatman just got shot. I'm like, what? What you mean? I just got a phone from Fatman. She's like, no, Mom. You need to get to Hans Village right now. Over Mama, they say Fatman just got shot. I threw the phone down. I'm looking for the keys for the car. I can't find the keys. I'm running up the road. In the middle of the road, trying to get over there. Finally, my daughter pulled up, and she's like, Mom, I found the keys. Get in. Jumped in the car. When we turned the corner, all I saw was blue lights. I was like, oh, God, this is going to be bad. So when I got in the Hans village where he was supposed to be, I didn't see the car. So I'm like, this ain't my son. This has got to be somebody else. But his girlfriend's sister coming running from behind the apartment, running up to the car. Let me in, let me in. We got to go, we got to go. Fat, let me in shot, fat, let me in shot. I'm like, what you mean? Where's he at? Moses' stepfather, Benny, noticed something odd. Keep in mind that this is his perspective and memory, and not from a police report or account of the case. When we pulled up, his girlfriend's sister, she was coming out of the woods, and the girlfriend had already taken him to the hospital. I was trying to figure out why was she coming out the woods. She said she chasing a guy that just shot him, but why is you coming out of the woods chasing somebody with no gun, no weapon, or nothing, but you chasing behind a guy that just shot somebody in the head? That's kind of crazy to me, you know? When they arrived at the hospital, Vanessa, his sister, saw his car pulled up in the emergency room's breezeway entrance. I remember seeing the blood dripping out the car. When we got to the hospital, well, when we first got the phone call, you know, I had to lost my keys to my car. So then my mom, she started running up the road, running up the street. So I finally found the keys to the car. And then when I pulled up out of it, I was like, this just can't be real. So it really, you know, didn't hit me until, you know, we got to the hospital. And I seen his car and all the blood was dripping from out the door. And the door was closed. And I said, yes, this got to be bad. And then he threw me in shock. Tamika tried to open the car door to see if Moses was still inside. But the police, who'd already made it to the hospital, stopped her. They said the car was evidence. But by that time, Tamika had realized Moses wasn't there, and she began to run again. I'm running through the hospital. The nurse was like, hold on, slow down, slow down, who are you looking for? And I tell him what I'm looking for. They was like, he's in surgery. 
So I'm like, okay, well, maybe he's going to be okay. But I'm looking at all the blood on the car. He's tapped me okay. Look at all that blood. So and her sister come in. And I'm asking them, what happened? What happened? She's like, I don't know. We was inside. As soon as I walked to my, my mom's apartment, I heard the gunshot. And, and I said, oh, fat man. And I run back out the door. And he was shot in the head. He was leaving. I was like, shot in the head? She's like, yeah, he was shot in the head. His, he was, his eyes were open. And he was just laying there with his head back in the seat. And I'm like, what you mean? I was like, what happened? Tell me what happened. She, she couldn't tell me what happened. So off the gate. I hear her, and her and her sister jumped me. <laughs> we started fighting in the hospital. So my family tried to get in, but the police, I have so much family that done got to the hospital at this time that they don't lock the doors, and none of my family could get in. I could see my sisters and my daughter, and they're beating on the door trying to get in because they see us in there fighting. And it's just two of them and one of me. So finally the police just break us up, and they take them out through the other side of the hospital because my family are beating on doors. So the doctor that was actually doing the surgery on my son, he came out and he said, Miss James, we're working on your son. He's going to make this other this, this side of the hospital over here for your family only. There's too many people out there. Calm your family down and get them together and get all of them on this side of the hospital for me. I got a place over there. I got coffee, water. I got everything y'all need on that side. Y'all just go on that side. So I call everybody in on that side. And I told him, I said, we got to calm down. They working on him. We got to calm down. I need y'all to calm down. So they, I got everybody in. And the doctor came back and got me. He's like, I need you to come with me for a minute. So he took me back there. I said, I just want to see my son. He took me back there and he said, um, he still has a heartbeat. And he's like, but the bullet hit a main artery. He said, um. Miss James, what I'm telling you is, he's basically gone. He's 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 gonna be brain dead. He was like, there's no activity, you know, nothing. So I told him, I said, well, I tell you what, let me come in there and see my son. Y'all stop working on him. And he was like, are you sure? I said, yeah, stop working on him. One thing I know, my son would not want to live like that. I know that for a fact. He would not want to live like that. So call the nurse and everybody out the room. He said, well, let us clean up a little bit of his blood. I said, no, leave it just like it is. I went in there and I sat and I talked to my son. And I say, I told him, I said, baby, you got to let go. You got to let go. And I swear to God, on my son's grave, my son shed one tear. And that's how I knew my son knew that it was time for him to go. That I was not going to let him live like that. I wiped his eye, I kissed him, I put my ear to his chest, and I probably heard about four heartbeats, and it stopped. And I closed his eyes. And I kissed him, and the police was like, no, you can't touch him, you can't touch him. I said, this is my baby. I kissed him. I went out, I got my husband, I got Moses, and I got Moses' mom and dad, and told them to come in there and say their goodbyes while I go out there and tell the family he was gone. So they had like three or four different counties up there. They had to call extra police. They had I'm talking about police from everywhere. They had to call in. So I went to the waiting area where they had my family at the side of the hospital. And I told them, I said, okay, we're going to meet back at my house. 
And everybody was like, what's going on? I said, he gone. And it was like, gone? I said, he's dead. Next time on The Fall Line, we pick up at Moses Williams Jr.'s death, the pivotal moment for Tamika and her family, and their immediate push to discover who shot him at Han Village, and why. If you have any information regarding the murder of Moses Williams Jr., please call the Aiken Department of Public Safety at 803-642-7620. Crime Stoppers offers rewards of up to $1,000 for tips. The local Crime Stoppers number is Crime Stoppers of the Midlands, 888-CRIME-SOUTH-CAROLINA or 888-274-6372. If you know a case that should be covered on the fall line, there's a link in our case submission form in the show notes. Thank you for listening. The fall line is a fully independent show, and we appreciate listener support. It allows us to do research, obtain FOIAs, pay our content advisors, and support and donate to the causes we care about. If you try out the products we advertise, please use our sponsor codes. It really helps. And if you'd like to support the show and the stories we cover, join us on Patreon. We raise Patreon funds to continue to cover the cost of the Millbrook Twins billboard and to raise a therapy fund for families who've been on the show. Each and every one of our patrons helps us continue this work, and we are so grateful. On Patreon, you can get early release ad-free versions of our regular episodes, plus blogs and videos for only $5 a month. We've also added video live streams, which all patrons can enjoy starting at just a dollar. The Fall Line is written, hosted, and researched by Laura Norton, with additional research by Brian Waters, Kim Fritz, and Kiana Burgess. Interviews by Brooke Hargrove. Produced, engineered, and scored by Maura Curry. Content advisement by Brandy C. Williams, Liv Fallon, and Vic Kennedy. And, as always, our most special thanks to Angie Dodd. Currently, our monthly donation is going to Private Investigations for the Missing. Please, join us in supporting this nonprofit. They need funds to help families access the service of PIs.